0: Well, good afternoon. We start with a new UK record temperature that has been set this afternoon at Heathrow Airport. For the first time
1: ever, Britain just recording a temperature topping 40 degrees Celsius.
2: At Luton Airport outside London, flights were suspended when parts of the runway were reportedly softened. Fires
3: rage either side of the Thames. The fuel, weeks of drought. The ignition, the hottest English day on record. The accelerant, strong southerly winds, the ingredients of a major incident which London officials...
4: On the 19th of July, 2022, Britain burned.
1: Europe's largest island is famous for its green fields, rainy weather and windswept coasts. But as the Mercury topped 40, the sun beat down on a yellow, parched and cracked land.
4: The country felt like a different world.
1: Some people fled to the beach, some stayed indoors, but with just 3% of homes fitted with air conditioning. The lucky ones were workers in air-conditioned offices.
4: The really astute ones found themselves among the trees. The US Department of Energy says that shading and evapotranspiration which is the process by which a plant actively moves and releases water vapour, from trees can reduce surrounding air temperatures as much as 3.3 degrees C.
1: And because cool air settles near the ground, air temperatures directly under trees can be as much as 13 degrees cooler than air temperatures above nearby asphalt.
4: It's good news then that the UK government has invested 44.2 million in planting trees this year. This amounts to 2,300 hectares, or 3,220 football pitches of trees.
1: The government wants to triple tree planting rates this parliament as part of its net zero ambitions, and this round of planting will sequester 600,000 tonnes of carbon by 2050.
4: But trees are good to have for a lot of reasons. The Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs said the investment will create larger, well-designed and more diverse woodlands, which will be more resilient to climate change as well as to natural hazards such as wildfires and storms.
1: Helping us to adapt to a warmer world
4: In January last year, we released an episode on tree planting in the UK, episode number 88, Engineering Trees. In the spirit of a newfound appreciation for shade, and as we all enjoy the cooler temperatures at the end of summer, we're bringing it to you again.
1: This episode is best enjoyed under a canopy of green.
4: 6,000 years ago, 90% of the UK was covered with trees.
0: Rowan, oak, lime, Scots pine, birch, willow and other native species dominated the landscape.
4: But this wouldn't last.
0: Around 4,000 years ago, prehistoric man took their bronze axes to these ancient woodlands to clear land for farming.
4: Millions of acres of woodland became farmland And this timber became a primary fuel source, as well as a building material.
0: By the time the Romans arrived 2,000 years ago and set about building roads and settlements, our ancient woodlands had already been decimated.
4: By the Norman invasion of the 11th century, just 15% of the UK was covered in trees. And this wasn't even the worst of it.
0: Timber stocks were then obliterated during the First World War.
4: A navy gunship took 3,000 trees to build, not to mention the millions of tonnes used for construction of wartime trenches.
0: By 1919, the country, which was already 90% reliant on wood imports, was left with just 5% woodland cover.
4: Something had to change.
0: On the 1st of September 1919, the government passed the Forestry Act, which created a new organisation to protect and grow the UK's woodlands.
4: The Forestry Commission got to work fast, planting its first trees in Exford Forest in Devon in December 1919.
0: Thanks to its efforts and long-term planning, the UK now has 13% tree cover.
4: But a growing number of voices say that this is not enough.
0: All over the world, the momentum for tree planting is building.
4: Because trees have another, far more important purpose, beyond being a fuel or a construction material
0: a purpose that could save us from a disaster even greater than that of World War One. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne.
4: And I'm Alex Conacher. As we start the new year, we are looking at how new life from new trees could help save the planet from catastrophic global warming that could wipe out life as we know it.
0: Global warming is accelerating because we're producing an ever-increasing amount of carbon dioxide.
4: Which traps the radiant heat generated by the Earth from the solar radiation of the Sun, the greenhouse effect.
0: And it isn't the only gas to do that. Methane, nitrous oxide and even water vapour all do this too, giving rise to a whole host of disastrous effects.
4: But trees do exactly the opposite.
0: Their leaves hold chlorophyll, which reacts with photons in sunlight to split water molecules.
4: The H2O is broken up and oxygen floats away.
0: Without this process, humans and other animals would never have evolved into existence at all.
4: This leaves the hydrogen which then reacts with carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to create simple compounds that go on to react with minerals from the soil to form basic sugars, fats and proteins. This lets trees grow and the carbon is locked away. Eventually, in turn, this feeds other organisms.
0: So trees absorb carbon dioxide and expel oxygen.
4: They are the ultimate bioreactors. And it's no wonder then that the Committee on Climate Change has called on governments to increase UK tree cover to a minimum of 17% by 2050.
0: This means planting 30,000 hectares of new woodland every year.
4: That is more than 90 million trees per annum.
0: And the Woodland Trust goes even further, calling for 19% coverage.
4: But it isn't just as simple as planting any tree anywhere. And in this episode, we are going to investigate the complexities of designing new woodlands, as well as finding out that trees can do so much more for the country than just absorbing carbon dioxide.
3: Right, so I'm Peter Leeson and I work presently for the Woodland Trust. And in fact, I've been at the Trust for 26 years nearly, so it's a big chunk of my life. The
0: Woodland Trust has put forward an emergency tree plan, which we'll link to in the show notes.
3: We have got so much work to do. If you think about our overall level of tree cover, it's what, 12 13%. In Europe, it's more than 30 So we've lost massive amounts of habitat.
4: Because trees don't only absorb carbon dioxide. They provide habitats for all manner of species. And biodiversity loss is just as critical a threat as climate change.
3: We do have a crisis in nature. So we're bearing down the barrel of significant climate change and significant species loss. So really, the timescale is now. We've got to get on with this.
0: Working out which species of tree to plant in which location is crucial, and foresters have to find a balance between fast-growing, non-native species, such as Sitka spruce, and native broadleaves, such as oak trees.
3: If you look at lots of our woodlands, they've been coniferised. So after the First World War, we, we started to desire a lot more homegrown timber. And actually a lot of our older woodlands, our ancient woodlands, those those native broadleaf woodlands, were cut down and replaced with conifer.
4: And this had a devastating effect on the species that native broadleaf trees, like oaks or beech trees,
3: supported. An oak tree can have many thousands of living organisms on a big tree, and they have something in excess of 400 species.
0: Such as bugs, butterflies or bees.
3: The, the corresponding number for conifers, we're talking 10, 20, 30 in most cases. So we've, we've replaced one really diverse tree for biodiversity with, 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 with species that are really not diverse.
4: But non-native species grow more quickly. And that means that they reach a peak in terms of productivity and carbon storage potential earlier than broadleaf native species do.
0: The faster a tree grows, the greater its ability to sequester carbon. Its productivity is described by something called the yield class.
4: But once the tree reaches maturation, its carbon storage potential drops steeply, meaning that non-native, fast-growing species peak in carbon terms earlier, but older native species are productive for much, much longer.
0: And it's these fast-growing species that are used for the domestic commercial timber market, which Peter agrees is also important.
3: We would want to see a balance which certainly has a a great deal of of native broadleaves within it. And I think you can mediate between those two extremes by doing good forest design uh, and getting things in the right places.
4: Because trees have so much more to offer than just carbon storage and habitat creation.
3: Trees do some remarkable things in in our landscapes. So maybe along watercourses, you would really want to have your native species
0: UK watercourses are most commonly open, exposed to sunlight all day, particularly those in upland areas, meaning they heat up rapidly.
3: Even
4: more rapidly, thanks to climate change.
3: And that's often to the detriment of, of trout and salmon populations which really need to breed within sort of cool water between certain temperature bands. So putting shade of trees over watercourses is really great. But really, also, the watercourse thrives or the the... the, the Insects within the watercourse thrive on leaf litter because that's what they eat, or they eat the algae on the leaf litter. So tree leaves in water is really good. So we'd probably want to see a lot of those watercourses that are at the moment bare, surrounded by a proportion of broadleaf trees.
0: And that's not all.
3: Certainly native trees are very, very good for biodiversity. And that's something, as personally, I want to see more biodiversity. But they also have properties which are, if you like, the engineering properties of trees.
4: Such as their ability to mitigate rain and flood water.
3: A big tree will intercept water from from the atmosphere, so rain will fall onto a big tree. And there's quite a lot of evidence now that suggests they can evaporate that water at something like 10 to 30% of the water hitting a tree.
0: And then there's the effect of percolation through the roots, which for something like an old oak tree could burrow more than 30 metres into the ground.
3: And those roots require air pockets to, to function, and those air pockets can actually act as temporary water storage. And because the roots are quite deep, and uh, the water can run rain will hit the top of the tree it'll run down the park runs down the, to the stem it runs down to the roots and it runs down through the roots into those air pockets and that temporary storage is really important as a storage mechanism but also those deep roots allow percolation of water down into the deeper ground
4: but as peter says it is the role of trees in encouraging biodiversity that he believes is most critical
3: actually what we need to do is have a connected landscape that allows movements and flows of, of animals and flowers and plants and it's about connectivity now which is the really key thing because once you get climate change and fragmentation of of, of, of natural areas it becomes very difficult for populations of things to survive but simply so things like the northern forest or i, I actually work for the woodland trust in cumbria so i manage an area in cumbria where we're trying to persuade this sort of the corridors of trees and and other habitats to be joined up. But the northern forest is our biggest single treescape. It's where we're trying to get millions of trees planted um, along vehicle corridors, in gardens, um, in new woods, in hedgerows, across that landscape to try and rebuild some of those connected habitats
0: the Northern Forest is a plan to plant 50 million trees east to west across the north of the UK, creating a connected woodland corridor from Liverpool to Hull. To date, this area has had one of the lowest proportions of woodland cover with just 7.6% of landmass populated by trees.
4: This is something that Helen Neve is also looking to change.
0: We've actually pledged as a,
5: well, our our business, but but personally, to plant 100,000 trees for the Northern Forest in this decade.
0: For Helen, a consultant medical surgeon and her husband, Chris, this all started about 10 years ago with plans to create a nature reserve.
5: So extinctions were starting, nature was getting squeezed out of its place with, you know, runways and motorways and railways. So we thought we'd do something about it. And at that point, we bought our first bit of land, which was 26 acres, near York, which has now become our first nature reserve, so it's called Sylvan Nature Reserve, and it's near a village of, called Kirkhamerton.
3: A
4: beautiful place for a walk if you're looking for a new route.
5: So we asked various people, including the Woodland Trust, and were advised that planting trees would be a good way to kickstart the return of nature. And in fact, that proved to be true. And so we planted 20,000 trees there with lots of clearings, site actually has a public footpath around the perimeter so you know we sort of left that as a footpath it's surrounded on three sides by a river hence it does get flooded sometimes so in terms of the choice of trees there we had to plant trees that could bear getting their roots (laughs) wet on the bit that gets flooded and we had a little bit more choice on the bit that's drier which is just a little bit higher there's a section that doesn't flood so we, we planted all these trees and They took off really, really well because of the moist, fertile soil.
4: Importantly, Helen chose the right trees for the location, advised by a very wise man from the Woodland Trust.
5: Well, Pete, yeah, Pete
0: Leeson, he he was actually our Woodland Trust advisor for that planting. Pete suggested a range of appropriate native tree species for this fertile, moist environment.
5: So, yeah, so willows, there's various types of willows and they're really good when they're wet and alders... You naturally find them by streams and ponds. And a few other, there's a few other types. I think birch aren't so bad next to to water as well.
4: The trees grew incredibly well.
5: Oh, after about five years, well, the Woodland Trust came to sort of have a look at it and said it looked like a 10-year-old woodland. You know, the trees had grown so well. But the remarkable thing was that the biodiversity just literally exploded with all these trees so as you plant you know the trees start to have their flowers and their fruits then insects will come birds will come to eat on the fruits and eat the insects um, and you really get a whole ecosystem just arrives so we were so impressed and heartened by this that we decided to do it again but bigger
0: By this time, Helen was becoming increasingly aware of another problem that she wanted to act on, the problem of climate change. So with their next investment, they began investigating carbon content of trees and launched a new eco-friendly business called Make It Wild, which does tree dedications, carbon offsetting through tree planting and sells nature-related gift items.
5: And there's an accepted calculation that um, a typical tree, which we take to be averaged out we we plant about 23 different species and i can probably remember about half of them off the top of my head so of a typical tree will sequester one ton of carbon elemental carbon over its typical lifetime of 40 years and just by chemistry that equates to 3.67 tons of carbon dioxide yeah over 40 years so but We will never cut the trees down, so we expect most of them to live much longer than that.
4: The native species that Helen plants can take 40 years or even longer to mature. And if this was plotted on a graph, we would see the peak carbon sequestration happening at a maturation point that might be 10, 20, even 30 years later than a non-native species. And that gives rise to another issue for businesses and major organisations that are seeking to lower their carbon footprint. How to account for it.
0: Maria Manidaki knows all about counting carbon. It's part of her job. She's a Principal Water Investment Planning Advisor at Mott MacDonald, where she's also Technical Lead for Achieving Net Zero.
2: I have been uh, supporting the water sector in the UK with their net zero carbon roadmap to 2030. So they have made the commitment, water companies in England, to be a net zero industry by 2030.
4: We are going to be doing an episode all about that very soon.
2: Which involves tomatoes. So part of the solution, of course, will be natural solutions and natural sequestration. And uh, more recently, water companies have made a commitment to plant 11 million trees in the UK, for example.
4: 11 million trees would sequester over 40 million tonnes of CO2 over their lifetime. This is according to Helen's method.
2: So, the important thing to note here is that a tree, when you plant a tree, a young tree, it will obviously, as the tree grows, it will be storing more and more carbon over its life. Uh, But um, the sequestration, um, um, if you like, rate of a tree is like a bell curve, Uh, so that means there is a point in uh, some years to come where there is a maximum sequestration benefit and then it is reducing, basically, as the tree ages.
0: This point is exactly why forest management is so important. We could plant millions of trees today to reduce our carbon footprint by 2050, but at some point in the future, when they reach maturation, the rate of carbon absorption plummets. Trees have to be planted in rotation and properly looked after to ensure they grow properly and then we maintain the rates of sequestration over time.
4: But this long-term maturation throws up a challenge for the water companies and other organisations who are seeking to reduce emissions and to help the UK reach its net zero target.
2: So, on the one hand, um, organizations want to do the right thing and play their part in planting trees or whatever other natural sequestration options they want to implement now, but uh, the challenge is that the full benefit is not likely to be achieved in many years to come. So how do you incentivize an organization, an individual, whatever that may be, to plant or do the right thing now? even if the benefits will come in 30, 40 years' time.
0: We need a new carbon accounting system, because at the moment, no carbon sequestration benefits can be claimed until those benefits are realised.
2: People realise, from government to uh, infrastructure owners to land-use owners, that something needs to happen, both in terms of understanding the science behind uh, carbon sequestration, but also, how does this work in practice?
4: So what are the accounting principles and what scale of market are we talking about? Because companies need incentives to do the right thing, especially those that are heavily regulated. Although we have primary legislation on reducing emissions in the form of the Climate Change Act, more detail is needed for tracking carbon
2: reductions
0: at a local scale. With the right incentives, other organisations are more likely to
2: act. For me, whatever decarbonisation measure you, you focus or you want to be implementing, being, being a technology, being whatever that may be, we need to make sure we have the right incentives in place and the, so that the, our behaviours are uh, aligned accordingly, basically.
4: At a national scale, the Forestry Commission monitors the carbon sequestration value of woodlands that it manages. This is Rob Gazzard, an advisor at the Forestry Commission specialising in contingency
6: planning and wildfire. So we we actually have a figure that we can go to say how much carbon uh, Forestry Commission land is actually containing. The latest
4: Forestry Commission data estimates that the UK forests currently lock in 4 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide. And half of this is in Scotland. Rob points out that trees used in construction can continue
6: to lock in carbon even after they've been felled. Actually, it's very interesting going to see a property recently which had a 14th century roofing timbers being put in place. Now those with roofing timbers are still doing their job now. They're perfect. They haven't changed. They are still functioning correctly, even after six or 700 years of being in situ. So it just goes to show that they're still storing their carbon. They're still serving their primary purpose with no need to adapt them, uh, even though the house may have changed its property type several times, but it's still functioning as it should do. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things why people become foresters. It's such an exciting industry when you have this long-term impact uh, over many, many generations of serving a purpose.
0: From a carbon perspective, Rob agrees we need a balance between native species and the fast-growing non-native conifers.
6: And one of the things that we look at when it comes to tree selection, go back to tree selection again, is, is that there's much discussion over planting native versus productive uh, in terms of which is best for carbon sequestration. The, the simple answer is we need both of those. We need the productive woodland, which generally sequesters carbon in its early years much quicker than the slower growing trees. But we need the native woodlands because they actually store the carbon in much more longer terms. So it's it's about looking at the whole forest cycle not just the carbon in the trees themselves because we've got in the case of those fast-growing trees the woodland uh, that that kind of carbon is installed in products and then that can substitute much more higher emissions um, building materials such as concrete steel and brick for example
4: we talk about timber and construction in episode 76 building with biomaterials and we'll revisit that subject in another episode soon
0: Meanwhile, Rob has something else rather important on his mind. As a specialist in wildfires, the potential for these to increase as temperatures rise and woodland cover increases is an issue that the UK has to prepare for.
6: So fire can be a good servant, it can also be a bad master as well. So the fires that we hear a lot about are those fires in California and Australia and other countries like that, which end up in very negative outcomes. But fire is actually a very useful tool for managing land as well uh for example Aboriginal people of Australia or Native Americans of, of uh, North America would have used fire actually to manage their landscapes and would have been a really really positive part and, and the same could be said of the United Kingdom as well where we've used fire in the past to manage our landscapes. Uh, in, interestingly the area most burnt by wildfires in the United Kingdom are our open habitats uh, far more than that in our forests Rob says that
4: there are three key principles to consider when managing wildfire.
6: And those three key principles are the species selection, the planning of the site design, and then the active management of that site
7: thereafter.
6: So species selection could be, for example, do I plant conifer trees, fast growing conifer trees, or do I plant a slower slower growing, broadleaf trees uh, and actually part of that forestry mosaic as part of sustainable forestry management isn't just trees it's actually other species in there as well we have a quite a high percentage of open habitats within our forests to give the ecological biodiversity that we need. So um, species selection really, really important when it comes to planning. We are looking actually about how different habitats come together, uh, these ecotones, these transitional areas, how they work because they can be that the fire starts in an open habitat and then spreads to a forest or a young forest has just been planted. So we do a lot of planning to put in fire breaks or change species selection or change age classes of trees. Uh, older trees seem to be much more resilient to fire than our younger trees.
0: For every forest, a wildfire risk assessment is carried out, which then feeds into a wildfire management plan.
6: From that, we then build our wildfire prevention measures, and we put them in. There could be fire breaks, like you've mentioned, and we, but we don't just rely on fire breaks. Now we look at the different species to try and use the best assets of those species in fire prevention. We might plant, for example, broadleaf trees, oak trees, or sweet chestnut trees if the site is suitable they have a a lot less flammable than uh, other species like uh, some types of conifer so we use those actually as part of our ecological tools to reduce wildfire risk. Uh, We position them in certain positions depending on the landscape if it's going up a slope or down a slope these are really important factors for us. So uh, if a slope uh, goes up uh, 10% we can see a doubling of speed of, of a fire. So That slope can be really critical about how we predict, how we plan for uh, wildfire prevention.
4: Looking ahead, Rob and other experts from across the UK, led by Dr Gareth Clay at the University of Manchester, are working on a new fire danger rating system. Most
6: of the fire danger rating systems in the world uh, are based on the Canadian system. Um, and that was built on forest fires in the boreal regions predominantly and what we are doing is trying to produce a uk version of that which is more appropriate to our temperate oceanic climate now the uk and the climate change scenarios is going to get a lot wetter but interestingly it's going to get a lot hotter as well and what that means is we're going to have a lot more vegetation with a lot more potential for them to be fires so our fire severity could increase and Going back to the point we made earlier about the location of the fire is critical. We might have a very small fire, but actually it's in such a location where we have a lot of infrastructure, possibly residential housing, motorways, power lines, etc, the UK is quite a densely populated country in comparison to the rest of Europe, actually our wildfires could have a disproportionate impact.
4: And it is for this very reason that wildfire management
6: plans and a rating system are crucial. I might be adjacent to a motorway, I might be adjacent to some property, a farm, or maybe a housing estate in some of our more urbanized woodlands and forests that we're creating. So these are all factors that the wildfire risk assessment can start identifying, and then it can start putting a a risk rating against those. So We can be proportionate with the level of response that we have. And then finally, we can put into place some control measures, these prevention measures, that can help reduce that risk further.
0: From wildfire management to carbon sequestration and flood alleviation potential, there's a lot to engineer when it comes to planting more trees. Although public opinion is generally behind increasing woodland cover, it's critical that planting more trees doesn't become a mitigation deterrent against the real issue of creating too many emissions in the first place.
4: We must not relax and think that we can continue as before, just because we are planting trees.
7: The key way to fight back against mitigation deterrence is to understand that it might happen because then you can design policies that work to stop it or you can understand the policy mechanisms that we have today that make it more of a problem. This is Duncan McLaren. I'm a research fellow and professor in practice at Lancaster University And for the last two or three years, I've been working on the effects of greenhouse gas removal on climate policy more broadly. So the way new ideas like that and other forms of geoengineering interact with existing climate policies.
0: The UK has a legally binding target of net zero emissions by 2050, and Duncan wants to make sure that the solutions and policies we implement will encourage reduction of emission production, as well as using carbon sequestration solutions.
4: And the modelling can start to make carbon removal seem more attractive than preventing carbon
7: emissions from being created in the first place. The scary bit is that in the few bits of modelling These aren't things I've done, but that other modelers have done, where there are directly comparable runs of the models. The average amount of substitution is around 70 percent. So around 70 percent of what is promised from carbon removal is a substitute for previously anticipated emissions cuts
0: which Duncan finds worrying as he says that sequestration technologies or offsetting schemes could fail to deliver the emissions reductions promised.
7: And about 30% is new, additional, making better progress towards our target. The reason that happens is that carbon removal is typically a future promise. The models therefore discount its costs, because they have this built-in discounting function, So it appears cheaper than doing mitigation today or or in the next 10 years. So of course, you run the model, it will select to do that instead of doing mitigation. But if that then is in the background, one of these sort of systemic issues that governments are making policy on the basis of the carbon price indicated by the model, then that carbon price will stimulate less mitigation and will stimulate more waiting for carbon removal, which might not arise.
0: Again, this is a bigger issue for another episode all about carbon sequestration, which the government has made clear it's going to pursue in its Energy White paper that it published in December.
4: But what does Duncan think about carbon sequestration using trees?
7: if we incentivize tree planting as so often has been suggested by offsets, then we run into this problem that we are guaranteeing the emissions that are happening because someone's buying an offset and putting that up against a non-guaranteed and uncertain carbon sink from a tree. So again, this this is a classic example where we want to It it would be great to to directly finance and support tree planting, as long as it's done in ways that are really, really attentive to the social implications.
4: So could trees really be the solution to climate change? Well, the answer is that they could certainly be part of it.
0: In 2019, the UK emitted 351.1 million tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, The Committee on Climate Change finds that changes in land use, including tree planting and peatland restoration, could reduce these by 43 million tonnes per annum.
4: A 12% reduction in our overall emissions, which means planting at least 30,000 new hectares of forest or woodland every year, which means a minimum of 90 million trees every year.
0: In a consultation for a new England tree strategy, which it published in June 2020, the government agreed with the CCC, saying it wants to hit these targets by 2025. And it pointed to other positive benefits of tree planting, from improving air and water quality, to restoring and promoting biodiversity, to providing better recreational facilities.
4: As the Chinese proverb states, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. Our producers are Alex Conacher, Bernadette Ballantyne, Ross McPherson, Rian Owen, and Tim Sheehan. This episode was written and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, co-hosted and edited by me, Alex Conacher, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own non-native species transplanted to a new land is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Dan McIntyre of McIntyre Trees, who gave us access to his considerable tree library. We promise to return those books very soon, Dan. And to our guests from the Woodland Trust, Make It Wild, Mott MacDonald and the Forestry Commission. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, where you can also sign up to our newsletter and read long summary articles of our episodes.